And the reason that I, I kind of wrote um, what kind of follower is looking at my own life, I thought, wow, I'm a fair distance from that kind of New Testament kind of follower. I'm not sure I've got the sort of passion that goes up to people like that and says that, believing that's going to happen. Am I the sort of person that, that continually is so close to Jesus, continually, that the love of Jesus and the spirit of Jesus is naturally flowing through me so that, so that disciples are being made and atmospheres are being changed and, and people are being drawn and chains are being broken and love is flowing and forgiveness and justice are mingling in society because I'm around. And I want to ask you that. Is, is that your life? Is your life one where, where you are following so closely with Jesus that everything Jesus whispers you're hearing, everything Jesus does you're seeing, every door Jesus opens you're going through because you're so, so close and I believe that the transformation of the world, the shalom of God, or the, or the kingdom in the New Testament, is based around this journey of radical followers who live in such a way that is so counter to the rest of the world that we offer a different story. And just by being around, we change things. Isn't that what Jesus means that, you know, when he talks about salt and light, noticeable transformation. You know when you've put too much salt in stuff, don't you? You know when you've gone into the, the uh, bedroom or whatever and you've thought, I don't need to switch the light on, I know where everything is, and then you fall over something that somebody else has put there. And you switch the light on and suddenly you see, see salt and light, they make a noticeable difference. And you and I are called to make a noticeable difference. And I began to think, so what, what would it look like in the UK if people were seeking to live that kind of way? And what sort of radical transformation would it take for all of us to have that sort of passionate, risky, creative discipleship that probably puts us on the edge and on the margins a wee bit. And I have to say, and, and you know, I, I say this in, in all humility because everybody could say this about me, is that I spend a lot of time with Christians. Right? I have a really, in some ways, I have a really easy, easy life because it's much harder to be a Christian in the workplace of a Scotland today than it is to be a Christian working for the church. That's, that's my view anyway. Um, but but I, I tell you this, I spend a lot of time with Christians and, and I come away looking at myself, looking at others, thinking, where was the passion in that? Where was the passion? Where was the faith? Where was the vision to see? Why are we so caught up with the kind of uh, decline and misery of, of life that we're not seeing above it? To see God is bigger than this. So something I've, I've found um, a few times, is there are two different lenses. I wear these kind of varifocals. So, you know, if I fall off the edge of the platform, you'll notice because I didn't actually see the edge of it. But I wear varifocals, two different lenses. 
Um, it seems to me you can see your problems through the lens of Jesus, or you can see Jesus through the lens of your problems. And there's a huge difference. If the first focus is always the decline of the church and the difficulties and all sorts of things, and that's your immediate lens, and then out of that you see Jesus, somehow your, your view is diminished. If you focus on Jesus and his greatness and his victory and his power and his glory, and then through that lens you look at yourself, the world, the situations, suddenly you have a different perspective on stuff. So uh, all of this kind of mixed on my kind of journey of faith and my kind of meandering thoughts and, uh, and turned up with what kind of follower. <clears throat> Why is it so important that this kind of radical discipleship, this kind of people who just wander up and pray, these people who, who love in such a way that, that sometimes it just becomes annoying because you can't do it yourself. That sort of people. Why is that so important today? Perhaps more than at any other time. Why is it so important in Scotland? Why is your life as a follower of Jesus so significant in the life of now and for this generation? So let me really run through, uh, next slide please, let me really run through quickly some of the things I think. And I'm not going to bore you too much with all this um, philosophical nonsense and stuff. But this is the Scotland of today, kind of summarized. We worship the God of individualism. Every person has become their own God. You make your own decisions, you decide what's best for you, you live in your way, you make your own choices, and nobody and nothing should be able to tell you how to live your life. If anywhere in the Western world, Scotland is the most individualistic society and growing. When you look at the legislation that, that we're uh, engaging in, in Parliament, you see a drive towards radical individualism. It's up to you. How you live, who you live as, what you do is up to you. And there shouldn't be any big story, anybody telling you how to live your life. It's all about you. Individualism has become the God of our generation. And we hear all the time, nobody should be able to tell you how to live. It's your life, it's your choice, it's your gender, it's your identity. It's all about you. So contrary in so many ways to the story of the Gospels. Second, alongside that, there's a trinity in, in Scotland of gods that we worship. The second one is, is the god of secularism. There is no place for religion in the public square. Religion is dead. It's finished. It's gone. You shouldn't be able to speak about it. Not in business, not in politics, not anywhere. We shouldn't have a kind of religious backdrop to our engagement in where we go and what we do. And again, if, if you look at some of the stuff I deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, you'll see a rampant secularism of Scotland. Rampant. Um, and the third is this. We worship a consumerist God where the consumer and what we consume is everything. You are what you have. And the more stuff you've got, 
the more successful you look, the happier you are. What a myth that is, isn't it? Even as I, I explain it, I'm embarrassed by it. And yet it is a driver of our culture. Get more stuff to be more successful. If you just have this, I, I, I did a seminar three or four months ago probably and just took 10 adverts from magazines and TV, all of them saying the same thing. Your life will be fulfilled and happy if you just have this kind of car, watch, whatever it is. So the Scotland of today is driven by these things. Five million people, where they might not be able to articulate this, this is what actually drives people and what they're fed on a minute-to-minute, day-to-day basis. What is it producing? It is producing a hope-deficit nation where more people die of addiction-related deaths in Scotland than anywhere else in Europe, nine times the average in Europe. Where more people, particularly younger women, teenagers into young women, are self-harming. Told in almost every secondary school in Scotland, there are young people self-harming. There is no future, no hope, no picture in our nation. Added to that last one is a lack of understanding of Christian faith. Folks have not got, here's a kind of Greek word, folks have not got a scooby about, about anything to do with Christian faith. It's not really a Greek word in case you're looking up on Google. Um, <laughs> folks know nothing. In lots and lots of places in our country, folks know nothing about faith at all. I've had conversations with people who didn't realize that Easter was something to do with Christianity in the Scotland of today. Who've never had anybody pray for them, never had any contact with a church, are totally fourth, fifth generation, completely unchurched. They don't know the Christian story. And it's a different talk probably to look at what we might do about that. But if ever a Scotland needed radical disciples, this is it. If ever there's a time for people to really go after Jesus and go for it, believing this is it. This is it. At the same time, in a church, um, you'll need a coffee after this, because this is depressing stuff, isn't it? But uh, I did tell you to look at it through a Jesus lens first, so it's your own fault if you're getting depressed by this. Uh, church is in decline. Now, not as bad as some people think, I don't think, because in some ways, uh, many of us believe God's been pruning the church and and a lot of the uh, religiosity is is going from the church and only people who really want to engage with Jesus are still hanging around it because it's it's not popular. We're being marginalized. But nonetheless, church is in decline. Church across the UK in in the last uh, census uh, less people, and particularly that group amongst younger adults, is less still than those who name themselves as Christian anymore. It's forced us then uh, to get into that mindset where numbers become all important to us. So we, we check how many people are coming to everything, don't we? We become numbers dominated rather than individuals invested in. 
And so we regard the good churches as the churches with the most people. It's, it's interesting to me that in the Gospels, every time Jesus got a crowd, he kind of managed to lose them, didn't he? He said, he said something too hard for them. They all cleared off. Um, rather, we're tempted to say anything we think will draw a crowd rather than anything that might upset a crowd because numbers in the church have become everything. At the same time as our major denomination is looking at cutting a third of its churches in the next five years, and where masses of Scotland will no longer have a living faith community in them. What an opportunity for the church planters, right? Come on. Come on, if you've ever wanted to plant something or start a house group or do something in the country, this is the day because there's going to be masses of places where there's no longer your local parish church anymore. It's kind of going. So you need to get, uh, get a grip of God if you've got a heart for church planting and say, this is the day for this. We became too interested in programs and not interested enough in people. So we invested all our time, all our energy in making sure the church delivered everything that everybody wanted. It is in a sense a form of, communi- of consumerism and culture influencing church and what we do. So different from Jesus taking 12 people and investing life in them so that they hung out with him and they asked questions of him and they walked with him and they saw what he did and they stayed with him and bit by bit the Jesus DNA began to infiltrate the minds and the thinking and the lives of these ordinary fishermen and tax collectors. They managed to see as Jesus invested more and more of himself in them. They began to see the wonder and the possibilities of of what Jesus in a life can actually do. So the results of all of this. Next one, please. There we go. Um, Lack of depth in so many believers. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up, but I'm going to ask you to think about this. Do you think today you are closer to Jesus than you were a year ago? Do you think you're still learning, still growing, still deepening, still longing, still seeking? Now, as you were then. Let me ask you another question. Remember when you first encountered Jesus? And remember the kind of passion of it, whether it was a a long-term journey or whether it was a kind of instantaneous kind of conversion moment. And you remember that sense of, of passion and love that you had at that time when suddenly things made sense and Jesus was there. From that moment to now, is the passion higher, greater, or less than it was? Has something gone? Have we settled into mediocrity in our spiritual living? 
people leaving the church. Uh, and the biggest uh, uh, reason for leaving the church at the moment amongst Christians, this is what uh, American Survey came up with. People are leaving church because they are hungering for reality of faith. Hungering for reality of faith. They want people to do life with. They want people that they can engage with on a day-to-day basis and walk with and find accountability with. And they don't think they're finding it in church anymore. And the biggest group of uh, growing Christians in the world today are Christians who are leaving organized church to do small group kind of life somewhere together. Lack of confidence in your own story. So can I do the elevator test with you, right? So obviously we don't have an elevator here. So you have to imagine, imagine this. You're on the bottom floor of the elevator. It's got 15 floors in it, right? It takes five seconds per floor it to go up. Um, could you tell somebody why you follow Jesus by the time you get to the top floor? from getting at the bottom. Are you so confident in your own story that you can naturally talk about Jesus and share it like that? Are you able to give a reason for the faith that you have? We're not confident in our own story. We're not confident in sharing our faith with people. My, uh, my mate and, uh, and uh, apparently my boss, uh, uh, Gav, um, when, when I'm out with Gav, it's also the most interesting thing because whenever uh, we're out uh, for, a, for a meal in a restaurant, uh, he, he, will, he will say to the waitress, oh, by the way, when she brings the food, by the way, we are Christians. Um, and as Christians, we're always really thankful uh, for the food and the folks who bring it and the folks who prepared it. Do you mind if we kind of pray for you when we're giving thanks for our food at the table? Um, what, what's your name? And, and he'll recount the amount of conversations he's had with waitresses and staff uh, who are serving food to him. So I, I kind of do that from time to time now as well. I always get some interesting looks in Scotland, I have to say. <laughs> um, but, but nonetheless, um, confident in living out our faith naturally. Not trying to put a religious mask on or try to be a holier-than-thou kind of person. Just living out Jesus to people. So what kind of follower then uh, transforms and changes a nation? What do we have to do? Um, Because we can't go on like this, can we? Look at Perth. Look at the needs all around about us. Look at the lack of hope. Look at the violence that goes on behind closed doors. Look at the vulnerable people who are radically damaged and hurt. Look at the people that we avoid all the time as we're kind of going places. Think about the people in your workplace and the damaged lives and the hopelessness that's all. We can't go on. This is not what we're called to. We're called to live so close to Jesus and be a radical follower of Jesus in such a way that transformation takes place. I wonder if you actually believe that. 
I, I wonder if you believe that. So what could we actually do? We have to invest in quality relationships. That's, that's the first thing. To make followers, radical followers, somebody has to invest relationships in them, time with them, mentoring, supporting, encouraging, cheering on. We've got to invest in one another and support one another. We have to be accountable to one another. We have to do life together. Now, this is hard for me to say, because right? I'm an introvert, and the best company that I've ever had is my own, right? <laughs> And, it's, and I always feel that like I'm dropping the bar a wee bit when I'm speaking to other people. Yeah, that, that kind of thing, you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't really. But I'm an introvert, but I don't really think that. Um. But I recognize that actually for, for the next generation of people, for any people to grow and develop, I have to give of myself and tell people about the mistakes I make and the struggles I have of faith and the issues that I've got and allow people to learn from that in exactly the same way as I've got to do the same. In the first year that I became a, a Christian, there's a guy called Gordon. I've told this story before. He wasn't even in my church, but he's somebody who kind of knew our family. And he knew I'd never been in church before in my life and suddenly had become a Christian. And he invited me one Thursday night uh, for tea. And when I got there uh, for, for tea after it, he brought out a Bible and he brought out a commentary. And every Thursday night for over a year, we went through a part of a gospel every single week and prayed. And he continually said to me, you got any questions, just, just phone me. If you're really struggling with faith, just phone me. Um, I'm there for you. I'm there for you. See, we all need people like that. All of us. Doesn't matter how far we are on in the journey, we all need people who are investing themselves into our lives to make us more like Jesus. If you don't have somebody like that, you have to find someone. Because you're kidding yourself if you think you're going on without any help from anybody else. So relationships. We've got to share life. We've got to be honest. You know, um, first, first five years as a Christian, I thought nobody made mistakes as Christians. Because nobody ever, I never was at a prayer meeting once where anybody stood up and said, oh, you know, I made an absolute horlicks of this. Um, this is a shambles. Um, I, really, I was really praying for this, and it's a disaster. Or, I'm really struggling with temptation over this. It's a challenge to me, continually. Never heard anybody think that. Thought I was the only person. Thought, I, I, I wonder if I really am a Christian. Because I'm having issues all over the place. But open, vulnerable sharing of life together. The laughter and the tears, the giving of one another, the admitting of mistakes to one another, the actually doing life as the first disciples had to do becomes such a key thing for us. Food is a good one. I knew that would brighten some people up. As soon as I looked out there and I said food, I saw a few people kind of gazing at why does, why does Alpha work, Right? It's not the talks. It's not Nicky Gumbel. Who cares about a kind of posh English accent? It's not Nicky Gumbel. It's the food that does it. it. It's the food. It's the coming round to eat together. 
and share together life over the food and ask real questions over the food and find out who actually has ever met somebody called Pippa. Uh, um, it's, uh, so it's an in-joke if you don't know Alpha very well. But, but it, it's, it's about the hospitality table that is so significant in the Gospels and right across Scripture. It is the gathering round together. It is the offering of hospitality. It is the drop-in any time that you want. We are here for you. It is, let's come together, bring some stuff together, and eat and talk and share together. We need to create a, a new culture of hospitality. And some people are great at it, aren't they? And, and some people not so good at it. But we need to learn in the power of the Spirit to be that sort of open people together. It, it, it is such a key thing in a day when we kind of, we rush in five minutes before a service starts or five minutes after it starts. And, and, and we kind of wander in, we kind of do our service bit. We kind of wander back out. We have a cup of tea if we've kind of got the time. And then we rush back to life as we see it again. And that's it. That's it. That, that's how, how do we expect to grow together in that and learn together in that unless we're willing to invest in one another to be radical followers? I'll go really quickly now. There is the kind of um, knowing of our story as I talked about it, sharing our story together uh, and our life together and our failings together. So to encourage one another that actually forgiveness is a reality in the Gospels. That Jesus loves us by grace. You know, we don't earn it. We don't earn it. We're never going to get to a stage where we're good enough that God says, you know what, I love you because of all the stuff you've done. God says, I love you because I love you. And out of my love, I hope you're going to do good stuff. It's a totally different way of living, isn't it? But we've got to know the story and, and tell the story and be honest about one another. We've got to learn to be vulnerable. There's a kind of um, Christian subculture where we learn all the language and all that sort of stuff. You know, where we say, oh, bless you, brother, bless you, sister, blah, 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 whatever, that sort of stuff. Um, and we sometimes never get to the place where we're real with one another. And I think we're not real because we're embarrassed that if we really are real, people won't love us the same. And so we wear masks depending on the setting, don't we? Um, oh, church mask today. Go watch what I say. That's what's your. Um, oh, but I'm at the rugby club watching Scotland. Um, tank Wales yesterday, oh, totally different mask. <laughs> <laughs> rather than being who we are, beloved by God, accepting we're not perfect, but holding one another together and finding life together in that. And all learning together. Like, you know, I heard somebody say once, there are some people who have 30 years 
of Christian experience, and there are some people who have one year of Christian experience 30 times. We've got to learn to all grow and develop, all be ready to learn, all be ready to step out and try new things and do new things together in the kingdom and what the kingdom looks like and does. And it's a real challenge for us, isn't it? Um, to think, oh, we're at this stage, we can, uh, no one understand all this. I'll tell you what's even bigger a challenge. It's a bigger challenge when, when your children are teaching you new things. And faith. I was at the um, Recalibrate conference um, just um, on Thursday there, and uh, I'd just spoken for like two hours or something like that, and you're all going to f- hope he's not going to go for two hours this morning. Um, I, I, uh, I was speaking for two hours, and I came off, and I thought, hey, that went pretty well. You know? <laughs> and, and a person made a beeline for me from out there and uh, came right up to me. And I thought, oh, this is going to ask for prayer, or something like that. You know, that's what always happens. People go ask for prayer. And I said, am I right in thinking you're Phil Drummond's dad? <laughs> I was absolutely gutted. <laughs> and they said, eh, your son was eh, up speaking about evangelism at a conference in, in the Central Church in Edinburgh two weeks ago. He was brilliant. And then, he took this, and then he took this group of 20 people out onto the streets and they saw people come to faith and I saw this and he told me all this story and bit by bit I'm declining in front of this woman's eyes as I'm kind of going down and down in my own and I'm kind of waiting. You got to say something about my talk. I just thought you'd really like to know that, that, uh, that, he, was, that he was really, really good. And I'm thinking, aye, aye, that's, that's really great. <laughs> Um, <laughs> my son uh, has seen more people uh, come to faith on the streets probably than I've seen to come to faith in my whole life and, and operates at a spiritual level in terms of seeing supernatural things happen way beyond some of the things I've ever seen happen but in seriousness when I, when I hear it and see him I think, I want to give that a go. Because <laughs> it's the same God. It's the same people. It's different giftings. It's the same God. Same people. We've all got to learn, haven't we? We all should want to learn and want more. We want more of Jesus. We want more and we want more. We never get to the stage where we've got it. Um, I don't think Peter ever got to the stage where he got it or Paul got to the stage where they got it. They're always hungering for more. Disciples hunger for more of Jesus. So what kind of followers does Scotland need of today? Well, actually, it needs you. (laughs) And it needs me. But it needs you and me with an absolute passion for Jesus that is unshakable. It needs a you and a me saying, Jesus first, whatever, wherever. It needs you to say, you know what? I'm going to give my life for the cause of the kingdom. And I don't care if people think I'm a wee bit nutty or a wee bit out there or I'm kind of 
out on the margins of society or some of my family don't know what I'm talking about or some other folks say, it's all right, go to church, but once you start offering to pray for people, you're going a bit too far. It's a bit too far, that. It's a bit flaky, that kind of thing. Jesus is calling the you and, and the me to change this generation and this time. That's why we're here. It's the sort of follower who makes a difference. And that's what God is calling us to. Will you just stand with me?